Welcome to Let's Talk About Women, a podcast where we talk about women's mental health across the reproductive lifespan. My name is Franziska Weinmar and I'm a doctoral candidate of the International Research Training Group 2804. And with this podcast, we want to share insights from interdisciplinary research on women's mental health. Today, I will talk to Dr. Christian Benedict, a tenured sleep scientist established in Uppsala, Sweden, and also one of the principal investigators from our IITG group. He has a background in neuroscience and nutrition and researches the effect of poor sleep patterns on various aspects of health together with his research group. Besides a very impressive publication list with over 12,000 citations, he also has a heart for scientific outreach, including many public lectures, news items and two popular scientific books that are also available in German. And I will link that in the show notes. I'm very happy to have you here, Christian. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. Before we dive deeper into the topic of sleep and women's mental health, let's set a baseline here. Why do we need sleep? Well, that's the one million dollar question. And I'm not really sure whether I have the best re response or answer to it. But nonetheless, you know, to keep things um, as simple as possible, every day when you're awake, yes, you have, you collect a lot of experiences. Yes, you learn new things. Things may always repeat, but maybe in a different context. And that constantly, permanently stimulates the brain and forces the brain to think about it, right? And that means also, because you have every day like 24 hours, you need also some time of the day, your brain needs some time of the day to lean back a little bit and to digest all this information it has collected mm -hmm. across wakefulness and to make like a decision what is relevant for me in the future, what is not relevant for me in the future in terms of what I have newly learned during preceding wakefulness. And I think this is one of the main functions of sleep, you know, that you pro process all the information that you have been exposed to during preceding wakefulness. You extract the gist, you t consolidate newly learned um, information and make sure that it is also accessible in the long run. And you, for this, you need on a regular basis sleep. But of course, beyond this kind of more psychological explanation, there are many, many other obvious reasons why we have to sleep. One very simple reason is you don't want to feel sleepy. You want to feel alert. So you need mm -hmm. sleep to... Um, Yeah, get rid of this kind of sleep pressure. You want to reduce your sleep debt and instead want to increase your or enhance your alertness so that you can pay attention to new things, upcoming things that you have also the drive to, to learn new things and to interact with others socially. So this is another reason why you sleep. But then if we can continue even more, you know, also from a body perspective, it's just extremely important. Think about the past pandemic, or some would say still ongoing pandemic. We know, for instance, that sleep is a very critical period during which your um, immune system can also process information. Inf you know, information such as, oh, I have been exposed to viruses or other infectious agents, and I have to initiate the very first steps to make sure that we can cope with this infectious agent, that we don't develop infections in the long run, or that if we are re-exposed to it, that we can cope better with this. And, you know, a game changer of the pandemic was, of course, the vaccination and There are studies that uh, to suggest if you, for instance, don't sleep as much as you should, which is for an adult at least seven hours, around the days where you were um, inoculated with the virus of interest, in this case SARS-CoV-2, you will show one month or two months later reduced antibody titer. So antibodies that you need um, to fight off this virus. Yes, you will also see see other signs of impaired immunity throughout this virus, yes. And that's, of course, extremely interesting because it shows you, even in the short term, 
you get something like a vaccination or if you are exposed to a real infectious agent, you have to make sure that you get proper sleep, that you can in the long run cope really well with this. But there is even more But we don't have 20 hours for this. No, I see. So mm -hmm. what I understand from your response is that, of course, sleep has an effect on my memory, on my attention. Yeah. And also, I mean, you went already a little bit into that direction. It has an effect on my on my body, on my physiology, physiology and um, also somehow it is health-related. Absolutely. Um, is there something that you can tell about why sleep is important for health beyond the immune system? Mm, sure. So I have done quite a lot of studies where we actually found if you expose people to one night of sleep loss as an experimental model of looking into, okay, what happens if you don't get proper sleep? you can see that there's an elevation of factors in their blood that you typically can measure assay among those who are either on their way to develop a new degenerative disease or who have already a new degenerative disease, such as Alzheimer's disease. Of course, in no way as high as you would see in, in these patient groups, but it clearly shows you, okay, the brain really needs the sleep, and if you don't get proper sleep, the brain is stressed, it lacks a proper restorative sleep, and you can then also measure by means of this biomarkers in blood how stressed the brain is about the lack of sleep. And we have actually also shown in some studies that those who have suffering from chronic sleep problems have an increased risk for faster cognitive aging. But not only this, they have an, always an increased risk to develop Alzheimer's disease. And you can just expand this kind of, oh, why sleep is so, why is sleep so important to so many other disease conditions, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular diseases. But I want to make here a clear point, yes? First of all, the equation underlying a certain health outcome always, we have all learned this in math, contains often many, many variables. And these variables have certain slopes. That means some have a stronger impact on my outcome and some have an less pronounced impact on my outcome. And often researchers have this tendency that they have a very restricted view on the things. That means they, of course, would like to emphasize the importance of the thing that they do research about. So if you speak, of course, with sleep researchers, they will always say sleep is really the, the most, most decisive thing that yeah. exists. And no doubt sleep is extremely important and you will see for many health outcomes and also well-being, performance, physical and mental performance, you will always see, oh my gosh, they all have somehow in common that sleep is part of the equation. So that really um, indicates or underscores the importance of sleep. But be aware, it depends um, or it depends not only on sleep, it depends on many, many other factors such as genetics, social interaction, physical activity, diet, that you go to your regular health checkups, that you take your medication, yes? There are so many factors that you have to consider. Sleep is one of those fact or variables in the equation, but not the only one and the most decisive in all contexts. And one thing that I also want to add, because I think it's extremely important when we discuss sleep, Often when you speak about sleep or poor sleep, people just say, oh yeah, poor sleep. And they think about, oh, this is maybe an equivalent expression for short sleep duration, meaning, oh, I sleep less than seven hours. Or mm -hmm. this is maybe I have a struggle with falling or staying asleep or early morning awakening. So um, hallmark symptoms of insomnia. But you have to be aware there are many, there are various diagnostic um, pathways. Yes, I, I, I rephrase this, I make this simple. There are many different disorders in relation to sleep that are on, on the list that you can potentially identify. So if you think about this, you can have an obstructive sleep apnea. Yes, you can have sleep movement disorders. You can have circadian rhythm disorders. Yes, I you can have parasomnia. So there are so many things. And 
I just want to say this. It's so important when you speak with someone, it's not as simple as saying you should just prioritize a little bit more sleep. Many, many people are not really aware of this. What is actually the main underlying cause for my sleep problems? And often you have a lot of comorbid sleep problems. So people may suffer from insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea, or they suffer from nightmare disorder. And as such, they develop and sleep onset insomnia because they are afraid of experiencing these nightmares. So it's complex when it comes to sleep. I see. I hope I made my point. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely see that there's a, a bigger picture and sleep does play an important role. I guess talking to a sleep scientist, um, I can say that sleep plays an important role here. But of course, there's definitely a point to say like sleep is not the only factor within developing disorders within health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also guess that there are a lot of interactions when it comes to genetics, sleep Absolutely. and everything. So Absolutely. And also then social factors. So we know that when we're stressed, this can have an effect on our sleep. So everything's interacting a lot. But now that we set this baseline about um, why sleep is important for our health, you mentioned that at some points and well-being in general. In this podcast, we talk especially about women. Yes. Uh, So my question would now be, how do women sleep? (laughs) So, you know, I can tell you the following. If you look into, let's say, some national surveys, and I have, of course, data for Sweden, but I think Sweden is also somehow representative, not perfectly, but similar to what you would expect for Germany, right? Because these are all these industrial nations and so forth. So when you look there into the statistics, you see, okay, the older a person gets, the more likely the person will struggle with sleep, right? But what you also Mm -hmm. see, if you split the groups by sex, meaning male and female sex, you see that females far more often report sleep difficulties compared to men. Of course, you have to ask yourself, why is this? I think, again, it's maybe complex and we will delve into this. What could be underlying reasons for this? Sometimes I have the suspicion it's also, you know, because women care more about their health and they are more um, willing to share also health-related information. You know, I know yes, this that, from all yeah. my dudes, you know, and my, my friends and my football team and so on. You know, they would rather say, Oh, you know, I don't sleep that much. Oh, this is really impressive. You know, sleep yeah. is seen like as a measure of success and how dedicated you are. Yes. The less you sleep, the more yeah, precisely. dedicated, so the sleep the less indeed. And I think yeah. men have more this, you know, if they have then sleep problems, they might be less inclined also to, to kind of social pressure reasons to share this information but i'm not saying i'm not saying that the gender gap in the prevalence of sleep problems is just due to this yes there are of course also other reasons mm-hmm. and we can of course go into these reasons i think one thing you know i have i can tell you this i have four kids and together with my wife we succeeded that <laughs> they yeah, that they all made it now to teenager age and we st- are still alive despite all the sleep loss that we went through. But I, I know, you know, in Sweden, they have this idea that both parents should, of course, have the opportunity to work. But then you have, of course, also to take care of teenagers or your children. And I still think even if Sweden tries to um, overcome overcome these gender inequalities, they, you know, there's still more responsibility, for instance, on women when it comes to childcare, that, such as solving problems at home, such as, okay, who is the one who's supposed to prepare dinner for the, or lunch for the family? Who is supposed to go to school events? I'm pretty sure that you will see that there is a clear <laughs> bias toward that many the women or the mothers are the ones that take care of this. But this then, together with, oh, yeah, I have a lot of occupational um, demands. I'm getting older, because if they are a teenager, by definition, you have also become older, right? All that um, falls into place and can be very demanding. And men are often so much into, I'm, into I focus on my career. And even in Sweden, you see a clear income gap 
and that men get far more money than the women. And why is this? Yeah, because mm -hmm. the women often go on average into a lot of professions, yes, where they can still then also take care of the children. So the men are so much focused on the career and the women have to work, but in addition also to take care of the families. I'm, again, we, I know we will speak about the menstrual cycle and its impact on sleep and the same also for the menopause. But I also, you know, I think it's important to highlight this more holistic or to have a more holistic perspective on the things. And yeah, it's not definitely. just about physiology. Of course. There are a lot of also roles, yes. yes, that are assigned to a woman and to a man in society, in the society. And I have often the impression that there is often quite a considerable burden that has to be carried by the woman greater burden also given all the childcare and all the other things compared to men they are very focused on their careers yeah and mm -hmm. probably that that's also something that's coming up more and more um i recently heard something about mental load that's mm -hmm. probably going into the direction and of course as you also say looking at this from a more holistic and broader perspective including social factors of course this has a role as we we're talking about before on the sleep because everything is then to acting um, so definitely that is something that we should not neglect. And I'm happy that you also mentioned that mm -hmm. now. Still, yeah. I want to come back to the more the physiology yeah, and sure. the neuroscience back on that. And there, of course, I have the question, is there a role for sex hormones, that is estrogen yeah. and progesterone, on women's sleep? Yes. So, and I think you can link it to your show notes. There is actually a recent review, I think two, three years old, published in Seed Medicine Reviews, where they tried to more systematically go through um, sleep among women across the lifespan, so covering all the different steps of a woman's lives, such as premenopause, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, pregnancy, and so forth. And, you know, we just have to admit this, and that's why it's so good that we have this research school, right? Women are extremely understudied and mm. as we learned also now in our spring school um, there is even not that much of funding it's kind of demanding to get even funding to study you know how um, yeah to study women health yes which is crazy given that just by definition they should make up at least half of the population <laughs> yes yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and I can tell you you know if I somehow summarize the or provide you the take-home message of this re um, review. The take-home message is we cannot really, with certainty, make big conclusions because there is no consistency. Because many of the studies lack sample size. Many of the studies have, for instance, not really screened for possible um, underlying comorbidities. You know, if we, th for instance, speak about the menstrual cycle effects, we know that a considerable proportion of women suffer from PMS or PMDD or other menstrual cycle-related um, conditions. And we know, for instance, PMS, of course, and PMDD, they occur, so to speak, during the second half of the menstrual cycle, during the luteal phase, right? After the evaluation, so if you approach the next um, menses, and then people say, oh, yeah, they have a lot of sleep problems or women tend to have more sleep problems during the later part of the menstrual cycle. And there are some studies to support this, but there are other studies not to support this. But then you look into how did they screen or how did they recruit participants? And then you see that they have not done proper screenings, whether they yes. may have some PMS issues. And then you have, of course, also to say if you investigate let's say, the um, prevalence or whether someone suffers from premenstrual um, syndrome, it's not like black-white. It's the same as it is for sleep, right? You cannot say, oh, if someone has a score above a threshold, then this person has PMS. But if she's two, score or two points below this threshold, she does not have PMS. Because, you know, because we are not like this black-white kind of, of biology there is that's of a course, discussion always about the right whether someone is like more on a spectrum um more approaching a disordered um 
symptoms, yes. symptomatology, or if someone else is like not very much in that corner, of course, it's, yeah. yeah. You know, and I just mm -hmm. have to say this, because then, you know, if you look into this, often what they do is if they want to compare the different phases of the menstrual cycle, they often use the method that they count from the first day of the last menses and then they say okay oh it should be seven or eight or nine days that's an early follicular phase around 14 days because this is textbook knowledge they should be around ovulation and then thereafter they are in the luteal phase but then you see that the woman for instance regular you know this is considered isn't it like 26 to 35 days is of course some may slightly have different ranges but it is somehow there this is considered to be a normal length of a menstrual cycle. And they are not really looking into this. And then they say, well, some have done this with diaries, but you yourself know this and maybe others as well. There can be also intra-individual variations. Course. So, you know, once you have ovulation, the next one, you don't have ovulation. So once yeah. you have a longer um, cycle, once you have a shorter one, there are so many factors and they are not really screened for. So coming back now to your original, your initial question, how does the mental cycle influence sleep? Well, you would say, if you study the literature and if you're very cherry picking, you could say, okay, if women are in the post-ovulation phase, so in the luteal phase, so in the second part of the mental cycle, it looks like that they are more sleepy, but they have less, for instance, um, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, is, which is one of these sleep stages. We have light sleep, we have deep sleep, and we have rapid eye movement sleep, right? And they have less of this. And then you could think about, okay, is there like a biological reason for this? Well, the core body temperature is slightly higher, and progesterone actually also leads to that the vessels in your skin const uh, constrict. So they don't dilate, which would normally allow you to dissipate heat and to cool down the body, but they instead constrict. So you keep the temperature high of your trunk, of your core. And it is known for rammed sleep. It's an extremely important prerequisite throughout the night that we drop in um, core body temperature because the REM sleep really needs like a cool environment to occur. So if it is then too warm as a consequence of progesterone and the second part of the mental cycle, you could assume that could be a reason why they may have less Ramsey. But then the question is, of course, what's the implication? Yeah, and I want to step in because yes. um, I recently indeed came across a study yeah. uh, from the University of California, yeah. which found that mood changes across the menstrual cycle, especially yeah. the always assumed kind of negative mood and irritability during the period, during yeah. demencies, that were actually associated to sleep difficulties. That yeah. is, that the phase of the menstrual cycle may not have a direct effect on the mood, but yeah. it's rather, like in healthy women, we're talking about yeah. like a, what is a healthy woman, but like a healthy woman, but rather that the poor sleep could be to blame, sort of yeah. to say, for the negative shift in the emotional state. Yes. For example, then during the period and demences. Yes. And that's something maybe related to that if i have less REM sleep maybe that has an effect on mood but or, you, I mean, absolutely, absolutely me. of course but and i agree we can first develop this okay why should REM sleep for instance matter or sleep as a whole for you know your ability to yeah cope with certain emotions you know with stressful situations and you know how you also emotionally perceive certain situations well there are there is for instance one study from the netherlands that has shown that if you are exposed to something that is very embarrassing right like you have to sing a karaoke song and a panel is sitting in front of you and it's very embarrassing if you start singing i don't do it now but sometimes i do it to you know illustrate the people what i meant and then you sleep on it. And the next morning, you are again exposed to your karaoke singing and people measure your brain activity. In the evening, when you hear for the first time your own singing, you see that your brain responds quite um, distinctly to this karaoke singing and that areas important for fight and flight and uh, yeah, producing fears such as the amygdala are very active. 
Yes, and the people also say, oh, it's embarrassing. It's an uncomfortable thing to listen to my own singing because, of mm -hmm. course, I did it in a context where people, you know, were sitting in front of me and this was very embarrassing. But then they sleep on it and the next morning they are re-exposed to their own singing and you no longer see the amygdala or such an amygdala reactivity in response to it. But instead you see that part of the frontal cortex, yes, the prefrontal cortex, important for coping with stress, with rationalizing, decision-making, is very active. And that's kind of interesting because that means maybe we need sleep to facilitate something that I would call fear ex or emotion extinction. That means, yeah, initially I experienced something that I thought was very um, uncomfortable, unpleasurable, or um, associated with a negative feeling. And then I sleep on it. And I still have a memory for this the next morning, but I no longer activate structures in my brain that then also result in physiological responses such as that I start sweating and that I have a higher pulse or heart rate and my blood pressure goes up and I have like physical symptoms of being stressed. No, instead I activate structures of my brain that are very important for reasoning, for, you know, very reflective, yeah, for very precise, rational, you, rational yeah, yeah. and saying, you know, calm down amygdala, you don't have to be stressed, we know this thing. And the, now the exciting part, because in the study they found the more REM sleep people had and the less interrupted the REM sleep was in the night in between. The crater was the prefrontal activity, um, prefrontal cortex activity the next morning when they were re-exposed to their own sing, listening to their own sing, and the less pronounced was the amygdala response. So if and I have less REM sleep here during the menstrual cycle, during the, the later phase of the menstrual cycle, precisely. this might have an effect on, on fear extinction. Okay. But, but you know, but there are of course also other studies because you refer to Berkeley and I'm aware also of studies where they tested the following. So, they noticed, okay, maybe sleep gives us also somehow resilience in terms of if I'm exposed to something that I consider very aversive, uncomfortable, like I watch a scary movie and I'm, I don't know the scary movie, so I cannot predict what will be in the next scene. Oh, I don't like this and this is really uncomfortable to do this. That you may have a better, you know, capacity to cope with this exactly. if you have proper sleep in the night before. And what they found was if the more slow wave sleep you have, so this deep sleep, so now we are back, now we forget about REM sleep, and the more deep sleep you have, the better you can cope with next day aversive emotions. So you're not as activated, not as stressed. And that's kind of interesting because if we put all these, or if we combine these two studies, what's the bottom line? The bottom line, sleep as a whole matters, right? Of and course. Of course, REM sleep may be very important to put things into a context, extract the gist, what, you know, we know that we need light and deep sleep to consolidate things that we have learned, but then we need the REM sleep, which typically follows light and deep sleep, to put these things that we have newly learned into a greater perspective, right? The brain tries to use these new puzzle pieces to see, oh, this fits to this type of image. Now I see the pattern. I never thought about this. So that's why Already we also believe that the REM sleep yeah. helps, you know, to extract the gist, to boost the creativity. And I just want to say this here also with the emotional regulation. I think the sleep as a whole matters. Of course, REM sleep may be important for this kind of fear extinction. I make a memory for something that I consider to be annoying or unpleasurable, but I don't keep the emotion to, with the same intensity. And I can even provide you an example. It's important, right? Imagine you're in Tübingen, it's 2300, you pass a certain street and there are like crazy, scary people. Of course, you will form somehow a memory for this, an emotional memory. Mm, maybe 2300, it's not the best um, decision to when I go home to pass a street. Mm. But the next day, it's 10 o'clock. And this is like a popular street where your favorite cafe is, right? Cafe is. And you, um, coffee shop is, and you want to go there. And of course, you should not, if you are there 10 hours or 12 hours later and everything is fine, you should not be 
you should be reminded, ah, I should not be here at 2300, but you should not feel because you're in the same context. Go or you know, experience this emotion with the same intensity. Because if this would be the case, I can tell you it does not take that much and you will be really messed up emotionally. Yes, your emotional health will be extremely impaired because you have somehow to form memories for what you consider but pleasurable or negative, but you should not keep the emotion with the same intensity. So whenever ah, you are, okay. when you have some cues that remind you to this um, experience that you don't go through the emotion with the same intensity. Yet I know, I know there are of course also these situations where you have, for instance, post-traumatic stress disorders. And there yes, you see, for yeah. instance, that sleep is apparently no longer as powerful to dissociate, right? The emotion from, from the memory, because you still have it. You may have cues and there you need not the sleep, there you need a real consultation with a psychologist, a therapist to speak through this and find ways of, um, yeah, coming over this yes yeah. i think i just want this is also another example it's interesting what sleep can do and some people say also because of that sleep is like a therapist and you get it for free every night to help you cope better with all the emotions that you collect throughout the day and it gives you even some res emotional resilience but be careful it's not like the the superpower that you have in you and you can just cope with whatever you experience. There are situations in life that are so traumatic and traumatic that you have to have professional help. Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. of course like a way, like a different path that we're going then. Mm -hmm. But as I if I understand you correctly, yeah. we have mm, some sort of research and knowledge about how sleep is affecting and, and also helping us to cope with emotional situations, Absolutely. how it helps us to regulate our emotions, how to just deal with emotional and mood situations. Right. And when we look then at women specifically for the menstrual cycle, yeah. there's only right now little that has been done before. There are some certain directions that we can see that during the menstrual cycle, there's like um, certain phases, specifically, if I understand correctly, mm -hmm. the REM phase that might be a little bit um, different compared to other faces, which might have an effect on our ability to be in our life and, and um, regulate emotions, cope with emotions and emotional context. But you can still have also, you know, overall, if you think about, if we dive into, let's say, PMS, which is then during the second part of the cycle, you have to be careful. It's only just about the REM sleep. You may have also issues to initiate sleep or you have of a very course. fragmented sleep because you have all these symptoms such as irritability, maybe you feel anxious and so forth. And all that is not conducive to a good night's sleep. And that all that might, might impact my mood on my next day. Absolutely. But of course, I agree with you that sleep and then all the different sleep stages mm -hmm. may be a mediator for that you may consider oh during this part of my cycle i'm not only very moody i'm also very um vulnerable to you know stresses or i'm i'm, I'm very affected by emotions and so on yes exactly. absolutely it can be a mediator yes but i would be careful to blame the hormones and say the the function of progesterone is to make you more moody and more susceptible to emotions that would be idiotic why should mother nature come up with something like Indeed, this yes. of course yeah definitely that i mean is, there's a reason for that mm -hmm. behind that and progesterone does have others effect other effects as well that the woman needs during the cycle yes so. and you know and i think yeah. this is of course also we can also highlight all you know of course if you think about estrogen or estradiol Sure, it has been associated, associated. So we, of course, we have to be yeah. careful, you know, with better sleep. But progesterone, a lot of people say progesterone, it's known, you know, it's like supporting your respiration, so breathing, right? And it has also a very positive effect on your upper airway structures. So they, progesterone helps to keep the upper airway structures open right? Because it has an effect on the smooth muscles and it keeps them tensed and all that helps that you can keep the upper airway open and as such, you, women 
before menopause may not suffer as much from sleep-related breathing issues. And sleep-related breathing issues are of considerable concern because they put a lot of burden on your cardiovascular system, so your heart and your vessels, but it also leads to very fragmented sleep. So in that, as such, you can say, oh, progesterone is That's really great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is, you know, I, I just want to say this, put things into context. So if we, now we could even go further to menopause. We know that many that suffer from, or not suffer, that's not nonsense. Many who go through perimenopause and then reach also menopause and the most postmenopausal state, they say, I no longer sleep as good as I did before. And then, they see for some, if or for a considerable, a significant proportion, if they, for instance, go, and I in no way advocate here for HRT, for hormone replacement therapy, because it's an individual decision that a person has, a woman has to make yeah, in, in discussion with their GP or their female doctor. Yes, a podcast cannot tell you, oh, because of this reason, I should start hormone replacement therapy. You have always to come to a mutual, you know, mutually with your doctor, you have to come to a decision. This is something that I want to test or not. But at least if you trust science, it looks like that HRT can help a lot of, can help many women to again sleep better and there what do you do you of course may then replace estrogen or you replace also progesterone, progesterone. and then you can say okay if they have here apparently positive effect but and if i'm so to speak premenopausally, then there might be some issues with the hormones that is for me not so logic you understand because you re use the hormones to replace them to say oh then they sleep better but before they are part of the problem so okay, you have yeah. you know again i, see, I think yeah. it's, it's complex of course it depends always on the context but i just want to say this before you blame progesterone to be like an an yeah and 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 problem for your sleep yes there are people that say it's good to mitigate sleep disorder breathing, and that might be also the reason why women, at least younger, not that often suffer from sleep disorder breathing as men do, right? And progesterone has also many other very important fulfills many many other important biological functions. So I don't want people to think, oh, how can I get rid of the progesterone? No, not at all. Mm. Exactly, that's the mm. thing. Like we should also um, not blame progesterone for everything, yes. and also it has advantages and has certain beneficial effects. And mm. I think you just made a very beautiful transition now mm. to my second point: um, menopause. Yeah, um, that is also something that I want to talk about right now. Um, just to get everyone um, on the same level, mm -hmm. uh, menopause is the cessation, so the end of the menstruation in a woman that typically comes at the age of 45 and 55 around that. However, um, the shutdown of this ovarian function just normally does not just happen overnight, which is now a nice word for the sleep podcast, but instead a woman transitions to menopause over a period of five to 10 years, which is called, as you also mentioned, the perimenopausal phase, right. in which the menstrual cycle is then quite irregular and the sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, other hormones as well, they fluctuate quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And especially this perimenopausal phase is considered to be this, we call this often the window of vulnerability for the health of a woman. Mm -hmm probably exactly due to this a lot of variations in the hormone levels and yeah but also when we talk about the context as well here personal and social social changes but besides now looking at personal and social changes um that might happen at this age you also say that there are not only you but also studies show and there's a lot of um, common knowledge i would probably say that there are sleep difficulties during yeah. the peri and menopausal period but um yeah like trouble falling asleep disturbed sleep frequent awakenings that can occur night sweats vasomotor symptoms and you already sleep disorder breathing that's that's of course something as well and you already went a little bit into that direction now that there might be an association with the hormones probably but hap what can you maybe elaborate a little bit what happens during the sleep Mm -hmm. in the transition to menopause so you know one and i know that you have also knowledge one thing into this 
if we speak about, for instance, about the hot flashes and the night sweats, so you have structures in your brain, one that is also called hypothalamus, that plays a very important role. There are many subregions in the hypothalamus to regulate a lot of very important functions in our body, amongst other also body temperature. And there are, or we know that estrogen, for instance, can have an impact, or the sex hormones can have an impact on certain cells, neurons in our hypothalamus that can on their own have an impact on the activity of the um, gonadotropic axis. So in the very end, it has an impact again on the production of sex hormones, but also on um, thermal regulation, so core body temperature regulation. And there are certain um, neuropeptides that are known to account for some of these hot fl flash um, issues and night sweat issues such as kispeptin mm -hmm. and they it's known that for instance estradiol can inhibit these neurons to release kispeptin the feedback yeah, loop, that the feedback loop. Yeah. and if you then start to go down these song that you have like a decline yes and you no longer have them to the same extent this may make you more susceptible also to experience these hot Flashes. Because there's no free or less of a feedback loop. Precisely. Yeah. And you get to have feedback from the periphery saying, you know, stop this now. We don't have to produce as much um, estradiol throughout the night. And you can also um, make sure that the you can create the, create the prerequisites that are needed also to cool down the body throughout the night. But if this is no longer there then you have also these temperature fluctuations and they can be very, very um, disturbing for sleep, yes. Mm -hmm. And the problem is they often coincide even with um, the night and when you try to sleep. And that is, of course, extremely sleep disruptive and can in the long run be an incredible Yeah, challenge for those suffering from these conditions such as hot flashes and night sweats because they say, I don't get my proper sleep longer and I really know how this impacts me during daytime. Yes, I'm, I'm moody, I'm, I'm sleepy, I'm not my, yeah, I'm not my, the best of my own. Yes. And, but there I can tell you because we discussed this also outside the podcast. Yes, that there are, ways of reestablishing, so to speak, or of, of mitigating these hot flashes and the night sweats. And one is hormone replacement therapy because you as then you have again estrogen. Yeah. Um, and another one is also that they have now developed antagonists. So like a medicine that you can take that will antagonize, that will inhibit these neurons in your hypothalamus to release kispeptin, which then can lead to these hot flashes and also account for these night sweats. And they are, I think, I, I think they are on their way to, to phase three. Yes, I think at the moment it, yes. they're and at this phase is, two. Yeah, yeah. Exciting because that could be a game changer. And I know also that many Right now, they often use either HRT or they use SSRIs to somehow cope with this. And it would be nice, of course, because some people, for instance, say, or women say, I don't want to replace estrogen because I have concerns about other health, possible health outcomes, and I don't want to do this. And then that would be, of course, a nice alternative because it's so specifically tailored to the specific pathway in your brain that is responsible for these hot flashes and night sweats and then you can so to speak yeah take care of this problem without being concerned about being exposed to um to estrogen yes and this will then again have a positive effect on my sleep because if i have a more regulated absolutely thermal regulation then my sleep will hopefully improve, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but still, there, of course, this is one 
and I, I thought this is an important thing to mention because I said this also on another podcast about female health in Sweden. And they said, this is impressive. We, we're not aware of this. But nowadays, they often just say, okay, if you have these problems, you can use certain SSRIs, which are is a group of antidepressants. And certain of those have also like sleep promoting properties, right? And some say also, oh, we can then also take HRT, hormone replacement therapy. But you have to be where you have also to look into what is the reason for my disrupted sleep. Is it the heart flushes? Is it the night sweats? Or is it that I overall have the impression I wake up um, not restored? Mm. I wake up still feeling sleepy. Because one thing that we also mentioned is you have an increased risk when you are um, in peri and menopause you have an increased risk for sleep disordered breathing. And we know, or I can know some, I have a colleague in Uppsala and she, she published also a review about this. The idea that progesterone helps you to, breathe. you know, to breathe and during sleep and to make sure that you get also a proper sleep because you properly breathe during sleep. HRT has no impact on this risk with sleep disordered breathing so it's ah, not as simple but the reason is why could that be yeah you are just getting older and you know everything gets you know everything is not all the muscles are no longer as tense if you are getting older we may go up in weight and weight gain is a risk factor for this yes mm -hmm. so there are a lot of other risk factors that just fall into place and you think I oh i just take the hrt i have the progesterone and that's why I, I may again establish, re-establish proper breathing, but mm. you have also other risk factors there that often coincide with this time of woman life. But it's of course also for men. I can tell you they get all um, or go up in weight when they are middle aged. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to say this: so don't don't believe. Okay, if I take my age or if I, for instance, go through. Or, participate, or start an HIT, I will get rid of, for sure, of all my sleep problems. Mm -hmm. You have to look into what is the underlying risk. But the hot flashes and the night sweats, I know that many show quite good responses. But even there, we have to say this because sometimes you have to be careful when you communicate about science because you could have the impressions just black and white. Some, of course, do not respond. Yes, it's not yeah. working yeah. for all. It's, but it's the majority complex, right? may yeah. benefit from it. Yes. Mm. Okay. But but in, in overall, what we see then, mm. of course, there are also problems that, that come along just with age per se. Um, but during the peri and the postmenopausal phase, some, of, not, not, not of course all of the women, but many women experience these sleep problems or mm. sleep loss due to different reasons. Yeah. But I want to now go into or have the question, um, what is then the consequence of this poor sleep in this period of a woman's life. So not the reasons why she's sleeping less, but what is more the consequence also on the brain, for example. Yeah, but, you, but many consequences. You, you, you know, just try it yourself and deprive yourself, even that you are not, you're still so young, Francesca, but try it. Deprive yourself just from one night of sleep and you will know what the consequences. You feel moody, right? You you cannot really cope with, you know, just noise. Yes, so everything affects you to a greater extent. You're more sensitive. Also for like sensory impact, it can, you know, the threshold when you perceive this as more negative is far lower, right? You may, I can even provide you an example. Just imagine you sit in an office with many others and you're supposed to work on a certain thing that you have to hand in because it's too soon and all the people speak around you. Mm. Normally you have this high um, level of selective attention. You can just be very focused on your thing, but then suddenly you get very sensitive to all this interruption, this interference, and it really elicits also like you know bodily responses you know you feel that your blood pressure goes in. all this we have shown in studies you're far more impulsive you're more um reactive to stress psychological stress but of course physically you're faster physically exhausted right but of course in the long run sure 
you know, in the long run, that means also you, if you don't get proper sleep, your cardiovascular system, so your heart and your vessels cannot recover to the same extent. And the night is a very important time of the day where both your heart and your vessels can recover. They, if they can't, that has an impact on how fast you will feel exhausted if you do something during daytime and how fast you would just say, how quickly you would say, you know, I... You know, I, I I can't cope with this. Yes, I have reached my limit. I have the impression, you know, I, I'm no longer under control of what I'm supposed to do. And but this is also true for men. This is true for everyone. Yes, there is no like, oh, the women are now the the vulnerable ones, and the men are the resilient ones. No, no, no. Yes, but of course, coming back now to this part of life it's demanding and that means we have to take these problems of course also seriously because mm -hmm. they can have an mm -hmm. impact because mm -hmm. you know it's not only about also all these health it's always health effects it's also about how it will may change the way how you perceive you can cope with things because that can also open the door to mental health issues because if i have the impression i no longer function as i want Yet I know what I'm what I'm capable of. This discrepancy, yeah, it can also result in a lot of frustration. Yes, mm. and as such, yeah, it, we have to take this seriously. Yes, but again, what is really important, you have to look into what is the underlying cause for the sleep problems, and you can of course test different things, right? So if you say, okay, it's the hot flashes and the night sweats, can we use this new Kispeptin antagonist or can we um, use HRT, the hormonal replacement therapy, or would be a small dose of an antidepressant help me? You know, if you have restless leg syndrome, ILS, which is this urgent drive to move primarily your legs and you have like pain sensations, that totally also coincides with the night. And if it coincides with the night, then you cannot sleep. Mm. Often an underlying reason is that you suffer from anemia. So then you have to get an iron supplementation. Yes, you can check your ferritin status. Is it too low? If this does not work and you supplement iron and it does not work, then there are maybe other options like anti-Parkinson medication that you, it's not Parkinson, but it, they help. Yes. Okay. So there you have to, if you suffer from sleep disorder breathing, we have to make a proper screening. And then there are many ways of, of treating that re-establishing a healthy breathing pattern during sleep. Mm. But of course, irrespective of whatever is the reason causing sleep disturbances, if you suffer from them, in the short, but also in the long term, they will impact your daily functioning your, and will impact your daily routine in a negative way. And even if this is just credible and it takes some time to, you know, that it comes from being, or, yeah, of, of being subconscious, yeah, that it gets more and more conscious that I really notice also the difference. I'm no longer as capable mm -hmm. like I have been before. Sure. But it, yeah. it, there is no doubt. You have to do something about it. Yes. But I, mm -hmm. one thing that I also want to say, I know you, <laughs> we, should, we could speak hours about this. We speak so much now about all these obviously problems and we need also some proper treatment. But one thing that I also want to emphasize is we should not traumatize too much. Yes. Because as we age, our sleep, and that's unisex right that is true for both men and women our sleep gets slightly worse it's not as good as it was when we were young you cannot expect my reference is when i was 20 years old i slept 10 hours and now i don't manage to sleep six hours you have to understand as we get older we have a lot of um of course vulnerabilities due to aging such as pain in the joints reflux disease and so on yes but we have also the brain structures that in their you know in interplay regulate wakefulness and sleep they may not longer are as properly interacting with each other and even that can result into 
in yeah inabilities or an impaired ability to maintain wakefulness or sleep yes yeah, you have exactly. also somehow to accept this because some people are so worried about their sleep but i often say you know one way for you also to turn a little bit around is to find a new you know to change your mindset about sleep that's so important and what do i mean with this you know if you are there in the night and you don't use your smartphone you don't do stuff, but you nonetheless allow you to rest and you just accept for you. I use the night to rest. And well, I will sleep throughout the night, but I will have also periods where I don't sleep. But still think about this. It's rest. During daytime, if you say, oh, I rest, I um, put the flight mode on my phone. I say others, I need now a downtime for 15 minutes or so. People say, oh, she's doing so well. She's really taking care of her her health and this is also a good way to reflect if you do it throughout the night it's a pathology and i, I just want to say this you know it's not black and white it's not like i have to sleep seven hours and if i sleep six and a half i i'm like 30 minutes of course on average it's good to sleep seven to nine hours but you should also understand you you know it's not like black and white there's a lot of gray in between and as long as you also allow you in the night to rest even if you're awake, it can have some restorative properties. Yes. Okay. But then when we say that, um, of course, age has an effect on sleep as well. Yeah. And it affects how probably that as, as the more that we age, the kind of like a little bit impaired or different our sleep becomes. Yes. Is there something that um, does it get better for the woman post-menopause that specifically in the perimenopause the women experience all these different sleep difficulties does it get better for the women i know that a lot of um, women also report about anxiety that they have the impression they feel more anxious they are traumatized they they just say this right these are some they feel that they are far more traumatizing in their thinking that they feel hopeless and this is, coincide with this phase of their life. And they say, okay, when, I'm, when I have, so to speak, completed that, I no longer have the impression it affects me to the same extent. I have somehow reset myself a little bit in terms of, you know, I'm not over-traumatizing things. I'm not longer as anxious. So, of course, there is, you know, there is, of course... Um, it will get better on average, but you know, but even if you are in this period, there are of course cognitive strategies, hormonal strategies. You know, I, I know, for instance, the anxiety aspect, HOT has even a positive effect on this. Yes. But again, it's an individual decision whether you want to do this or not, but there are ways here and there are cognitive strategies, you know, where you reappraisal strategies. There are so many ways how you can also maybe find tools to cope better also with your maybe disturbing thoughts that are so, um, yeah, th that are so demanding and so stressful and may have also as such an impact about you. Because of course they may also, why don't I sleep that much? And oh, and now I'm again supposed to sleep, but I cannot sleep as I'm supposed to. And now I read this book from Dr. Benedict and they claimed seven to nine hours, but I sleep only five hours. Yeah. Am I on my way to develop Alzheimer's and so on? Yes. That's so, another interesting part. Yeah, 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 yeah. but I, I just say this, mm -hmm. you know. I think there are ways, but yeah, there are, I know that overall you see if you have, so to speak, gone through this, many say that they have found for them maybe also cognitive strategies to better cope and handle with these kind of um, aversive thinking structures, patterns, yes. Mm. So before we then slowly come to an end and take a look oh, into no. the forward, <laughs> into the future, yes. um, I would just like briefly maybe try to summarize what yes. we discussed um, before. And as um, in the beginning, you told us that sleep, of course, is important for health. Mm -hmm. um, it's important just for us to function in our daily life, for our memory, for our attention, for emotions. But of course, sleep is one variable, as you put it in the yes. whole equation. And we should not just look at sleep as the only thing it's that's the only detrimental for mm -hmm. our health. And we should also 
maybe be a little bit more relaxed about it um, when we think about um, the importance of sleep. Of course, sleep is important, but there are different factors that interact, of course, with sleep, but we should not forget the bigger picture here. Not the bigger picture. I think you made a very important point, which I tried to convey, but you, convey, but you phrased it far better than I did. You know, like this mindset, it's so much about mindset. Of course, I'm not saying a mindset can change whether you have sleep disorder breathing, but nonetheless, a mindset, you know, if you, you know, as we often say in so many languages, also in German, you know, if you think about a glass of water, it's, is it half full or half empty? And I think you have to get into this half full perspective, right? I see. Because again, yeah, I sleep five hours, but I spend nonetheless seven hours or I sleep five hours and I have another nap throughout the day or so. And, you know, I'm not think, I'm not overthinking how much I sleep. I just do what my body offers me. Of course, I'm in no way trivializing sleep problems and say, if you permanently don't sleep enough, you just say, oh, but Christian said, I should don't, I should not mind. Of course, it might be other reasons, right? Like, I don't know, periodic limb movements during sleep, restless sleep, um, restless leg syndrome, sleep disorder, breathing. It can be so much, right? So, of course, you need also a proper diagnosis and often you can then also find a way how to initiate the proper therapy. But mindset plays a very important role. Yeah, yeah. and that definitely now also um, was very nice for me to hear because when looking more to the science, you sometimes get the picture or like get the idea of that, oh my God, uh, sleep is super important and mm. if I get to last, this is very detrimental for my health and everything. So I guess it's nice to sometimes also take a step back and say, okay, well, if you, your body will somehow signal you and take the sleep that you will need at some point, if you're in a more general healthy um, state, of course. You know, I, I, I just want to, I want to say even something in the context of what you said before, because I think it's important. And I think you could even do a an episode in your part, as part of your podcast about this. If you think about, you know, all the statements that people make like about, oh, if you, for instance, in the context of sleep, if you don't sleep, your Alzheimer risk increases by 50%. This is so misleading for the public because they then think 50% means, okay, if I take a group of people suffering from sleep problems, every other person will get Alzheimer's. But that's not true, right? It's You have like a reference group, like those who don't yes. have sleep problems, but then you have to look into what's the absolute risk of, irrespective of someone has sleep problems or not, in the society or in this particular group that um, I studied to develop Alzheimer. And then you see, oh, only three developed this, but two had sleep problems and one had not. You understand what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. I know that would not be significant, but you understand what I mean? This is extremely important. And if you look into these studies, you often see also, oh, this is like a risk elevation by this and this, or I, they compared in an experiment to conditions, but always look into the confidence intervals. And that clearly shows you not only, okay, maybe the sample is not really so strong to make such ultimate statements, yeah. or it also shows you, there is a lot of variation from person to person. Exactly. And that's also where I still want to come back to because we have been talking a little bit here about, about women's sleep. And um, what I take now from this, from this um, episode and from this podcast and talk with you is that even though we know that hormones, but also social factors in women's life have an impact on their health, their sleep, probably there's still little research being mm -hmm. done. And of course, we have some quite like common known um, phenomenons then during menopause or maybe also during pregnancy, which we've not talked about now, that have an impact on our sleep and are, are related also to health issues and that there are some problems that come along. Is it with thermal regulation that has an effect on sleep? So everything kind of is connected during these periods and yes. there are certain vulnerability phases. But now I really do want to come to certain of an end and have yeah. a last question for you. So Christian... What is the next big question or the next big step in research regarding sleep and women's mental health? You know, I think overall it's interesting to look into whether improving sleep. So we know, you know often if people speak about sleep, they speak about the effect or they, they measure the or they make conclusions regarding 
why we sleep from studies where people did not sleep, right? But I think what is important if they then make the conclusion, okay, that's why we may sleep and that's the function of sleep. But can we also use it therapeutically? Meaning if I have, for instance, someone who has sleep problems and I improve sleep, do I see then beyond HRT, beyond all these different things, that I have some positive effects? And this is, so it's called, for instance, if we think about duration, which is often used as an important sleep measure or outcome, sleep duration, how much do I sleep per day or per night? Can I, when I extend sleep duration among those who sleep short, see some health benefits or some benefits on performance, on well-being? And I think this is, of course, something, you know, overall, when it comes to women, for me, it's obvious we need more studies that actually study women's health, women's mental health, and also in the context of sleep, right? Because mm -hmm. there is just a crazy lack of studies, very paucity of studies. There's nothing. Yes. And I actually do this right now. Yes. That's so great. there's some That's hope great. in Uppsala, and I hope to report maybe in the future more about this. But I'm also very excited to think about can we use this therapeutically? Yes. And I can, I can, to finish it, I can tell you one, <laughs> one example, because it's extremely interesting, because it shows you a woman is not a man. Yes. When it comes also to all the conclusions that they often draw from sleep research, you may have heard about we need a regular night of sleep for brain health because there is this lymphatic system that pumps water into the brain tissue and out the brain tissue. And through this, it flushes away all the waste that your neurons produce, your brain cells during the daytime because they think and help you to feel and so forth. And this lymphatic system is considered to be extremely important for brain health and to postpone the onset of new degenerative diseases such as Morbus Alzheimer's, yes? But then they say, oh, and when is it actually quite active? Yeah, during sleep and during slow-wave sleep. And now we come back to the woman. If you take elderly women, so in their 60s, 70s, they often, compared to their men, have far more deep sleep. Men in the 70s, 80s go down to 5% and less. Women, they don't drop that much in the amount of slow-wave sleep. So based on this, you could actually conclude men may be more, um, more susceptible to develop new degenerative diseases because they cannot use the lymphatic system to the same extent. But now, the case now you, we go into epidemiology and then you see, and you can even look this up in the World Alzheimer Report, female gender is a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease once you have been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, which is a kind of pre-dementia state. But you women have far more deep sleep than we men have when we are old. Mm. So how does that fit? And it clearly shows you again, or is, this provides, again, as an example, how complex it is and how careful we have to be to make conclusions based on research that involved a lot of men and conclude this is something that we can um, extrapolate also to women. It's not as simple. And that's something, Christian, I hope you will share some answers to in the future when you've yes. investigated a little bit more about women specifically and answer all these interesting questions in the future. Um, it was a great honor for me to have you here uh, with us. Thank you for taking your time. And also I want to thank Liebe for exchanging ideas and preparation for this episode. And lastly, thank you all for listening. If you have any feedback, questions, suggestions for specific topics, please let us know and contact us via mail or Twitter. You can find the information in the show notes of this episode and our podcast. And if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, feel free to share it with family, friends, or colleagues. And until then, hear you next time on Let's Talk About Women. Mm -hmm.